0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders, leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.
1: The internet has given as much as it's taken away when it comes to social connection because it's allowed us to reach so much further. um, And so that gives us i guess more connectedness with people but then yeah i guess sometimes it r- results in a bit of less uh, a bit less of that sort of face to face connection
0: Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, and it is great to be back with you here, as always. Well, those were the insightful words of Stephanie Hex-Bendixson, who's a TV presenter. She's recently done the Game of Thrones 360 show on Foxtel. She's done a terrific travel series in Australia, only in Oz with National Geographic. Before that, of course, she ran the Good Game uh, show and was a co-host and presenter on that, which was also a syndicated podcast uh, via the ABC network, and then did screenplay at Channel 7. During this time, she's always she's also managed to write a number of um, very successful children's books with her uh, former co-host there, Barjo. And I first came across um, Steph when she was at Good Game and thought she was just doing a terrific job there presenting and offering a unique perspective in a, a fairly homogenous space. So that was terrific. And just her coverage of gaming culture, what it means to be a presence online and to have that online and real life personality was intriguing to discuss. We also cover what is the utility of gaming to one's life and well-being and um, how gaming can be a positive influence in, uh, in your life. And we also talk about what it's like to have a fairly uncharted career map and what it's like to transition through a fair few spaces and to navigate a complex um, and unknown ecosystem whilst you create a a very good, balanced and um, prosperous career for yourself. So this is a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Sending a quick thank you and shout out to our wonderful sponsor, Assemble, who are doing wonderful things helping young people and their families to bridge that gap between renting and owning your own home. If you're keen to learn more, head to assemblecommunities.com. A big welcome and thank you to Bonnie B, who's just joined our Patreon supporter community this week. Welcome, Bonnie, and I trust you're going to enjoy our specialised Patreon feed, which is going live this week and will give you the full version of our episode and that extra 15 minutes uh, with our guests where we go through some top questions that I've curated over the past few seasons, as well as a bit of commentary at the beginning of each episode on what it was like to record the episode. So if you're interested in joining our community that features now Bonnie B, Misha D, and Wife, Joel F. McCartan and Stuart M., of course. Uh, we'd love to have you. Just head to the show notes. And there's a link there. Otherwise, go to patreon.com slash humans of purpose. So it is awesome to be here with you today, Steph, in uh, Hyde Park Hub. Uh, we found it eventually. <laughs>
1: Yeah, th- thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I have been an admirer of your work for a long time, especially um, I'm really, really feeling my inner geek today. This is where I come out to the public as a huge gamer from way back.
1: Oh, thank you. But <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I'd love to hear a bit about you and your history. And um, first of all, um, what got you into games and taking us all the way through until today?
1: Sure. Um, That's a lot to cover, I know. No, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's broad, but I understand. I, I think... Um, uh, for me, I had a very, um, unusual pathway into video games because, um, you know, growing up, I was really into fantasy fiction. I was a big reader. I loved to read, um, still do. I have a little library at home of, of fantasy novels. And, um, and I think for me, video games were just uh, the next step from, from those worlds of being able to participate actively in something that was just so, magnificent and expansive and exciting, but my parents were very anti-video games, so we never had any consoles or anything growing up. It was very difficult for me to have access, so I spent a lot of time gaming at friends' houses and things like that. Um, but Uh, The first game that really kind of opened my mind to the possibilities of video games was actually a text-based role-playing game, um, otherwise known as a MUD or a multi-user dungeon. And they were really big in the 80s and it was basically kind of like um, an online role-playing game, a little bit like Dungeons and Dragons where you kind of Type various syntax and
0: commands to. <laughs> I remember um, that, that game, all those types of games. Those, yeah, yeah, this one
1: was called <laughs> Lensmore, and it was amazing, and it was based around this concept of two kind of war and com, uh, continents, and um, you know, you played a different race and stuff. But I just remember just being in there and and realizing that I was interacting with other people, and the, and the way they wrote and the way they spoke, and you know. Role played their characters was just so beautiful and it reminded me of the novels that I loved so much. So I started playing that a lot on the sly because I think the fact that it had no graphics meant that my yeah. parents didn't really know what I was doing and yeah. I got away with it for a long time.
0: But and this it, is pre texting, so yeah, no totally. There. I
1: think like it, like maybe like ICQ and stuff like that was probably <laughs> a, a thing around then, but like and messenger, but like we didn't have a, a whole lot else going on, um, like before YouTube, before everything, um, and uh, yeah, it was also kind of my first brush with gaming addiction because it was, you know, when you play, anyone knows if you play an online game quite a lot and you start to play with people regularly, they start to become dependent on you. And when your story is linked with their story, then suddenly you feel that by not being there, you're letting other people down. Well,
0: that's a serious dependency loop.
1: Yeah, totally. World of Warcraft is a big thing, you know, all all of that kind of thing. So, yeah, I started playing.
0: Were you playing World of Warcraft a bit?
1: I did eventually get into wow. Yeah. Um when I when I built my first sort of PC, that was my first kind of like proper video game that I played. Did
0: I you think. say you built your first PC?
1: Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of friends that were quite quite nerdy and wow. I think being into games and stuff and and knowing that my parents weren't going to help me out in the console department yep. I ended up
0: just of, build one. Yeah. DIY. <laughs>
1: but it was exciting. It was exciting to learn how everything worked yep. and actually when you really um, look at it. It's just parts that just plug into a power source. And once you figure that out, and you know, it's actually quite simple.
0: Uh, I, I'm not convinced, but go on. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> and plus, like you know, like back then there were certain if it, if you sort of sort of put it all together yeah. and you hit the on button, you know, sometimes it wouldn't boot, but it would there'd be like a series of beeps. And uh, yeah. Those beeps would pertain to like yeah. the RAM isn't properly seated yeah. or the, the video card. You know. You're taking
0: me back to the MS DOS prompt, uh yeah. Floppy disk. Uh, like, go for proxy. Um, let's go on the internet. And it's yeah. just a bunch of like text pages in different coloured font. Fantastic. It
1: yeah. was. It was also the first time I kind of really got a sense of how cool it is to know how things work when most people. don't don't and um so you're becoming like an
0: expert kind of through your own journey in 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 games and pcs and yeah
1: yeah i just i i think i was always just naturally um drawn to that kind of thing so um but it was always a bit of a guilty pleasure i think my parents had sort of taught me that it was something that was you know a waste of time and and i shouldn't feel good about doing it so i never really considered a career in video games um it was just that i'd loved this show good game and um and an opportunity came up there that was quite serendipitous. And that's kind of...
0: But you, you must have known um, to some in some way that you, you kind of had a desire to be a presenter or in TV or... I was
1: big into yep. acting. I wanted yep. to be an actor, I think, initially, um, specifically theatre. Hmm. I think, again, it was all kind of tied into that escapism yeah. thing. Um, I really loved, you know, dressing up and, and make-believe and pretending to be someone else, just like in a video game, I suppose. Um but, uh, yeah, and so I had some kind of skills, you know, with performance and things like that. And then, um, yeah, this this incredible opportunity came up with Good Game, and suddenly this show that I loved, I was on it, and it was nuts.
0: How does that happen? Is it like um, for those of us who are not in that world, aka okay, <laughs> me and everyone? Um, do you like send in a tape, or you go in an audition, or?
1: Yeah, so uh, I was auditioning actually for a different show on the ABC, and um, and when I was making that audition tape, I um, it, I decided to film it at a at a sci-fi convention because I was like, this represents who I am and what I like. Yeah, and I and my would-be co-presenter. I saw him there. He was hosting Good Game at the time. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. I would love your show. And so I went up and got a picture with him and I explained that I was filming this audition tape for this other show and he said, we're actually looking for someone as well. Um, and well. I was like – this is like too <laughs> too perfect. <laughs> so I wrote. I went home and I wrote actually a, a bunch of game reviews and I sent them into the show's producer. And um, you know I'd watched the show so much. I knew the style and, and the format of their reviews quite mm. well. Um, and she really liked those. So I went in for a screen test after that. Is and, that
0: by video or how do you like written reviews or? They by, were written yep, reviews. Yep.
1: Yeah, they were written reviews that I sent. She needed to know that I could write and think critically mm. because that was a huge part of the job. Um, and then I went and screen tested after that.
0: And so I'm not sure if this is your vintage or I'm just really revealing my decrepitness. but um, <laughs> do you remember the era of like Hyper Magazine and uh, Eletro- oh, yeah, EGM, for sure. Electronic yeah. Gaming Monthly? Yeah, so that, yeah. that's where I sort of got my first grounding in like those long re- reviews. And, and then... they
1: would come with like a lot of those magazines would come with like <laughs> yeah, a, CD. C- a CD on the front <laughs> yeah. and demos and stuff. Demos. <laughs>
0: um, back when you had like um, like shareware or like, you know, limited release yeah, trial versions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the good game, I mean, that was kind of revolutionary in Way because I feel like at the same time that that became big, uh, the podcast also became big, and podcasting was just blowing up. And I remember I used to watch the show, but then I could also listen to it on a podcast, which was awesome for me. That's
1: how I first um, started. Well, I watched the video podcast, I think, on iTunes Mm. or something back on back in the day. I used to watch it on the train to work, my like retail job or whatever. Yeah, that's like how I would consume it, which was amazing.
0: But you've gone on to do a whole raft of other things. I mean, Good Game was really just sort of the beginning for you of all, like, you know, spanning out. Um, You're an author. um, You wear many hats. um, (laughs) You know, you've done so many different things. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the other things you've been doing and some of the things you've enjoyed and how you got to those.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, I I stay – I'm most happy, I think, in the pop culture space because it's um, very much within my wheelhouse and what I'm passionate about. So – while I was at the ABC, I shot a really great show called How to Be a Fan, which looked at, I suppose, different aspects of specific genre fandoms <laughs> and why people like them. So it's everything awesome. from, um, uh, like, live action role play yep. to people who, like, fiercely are fierce collectors of things. Yep.
0: Um I'm definitely going to watch that. By the way, it,
1: it was it was quite it was quite a ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did
0: you end up like collecting anything as a result of watching or becoming a fan of anything from doing that show? I mean, is it addictive?
1: It, I think people. It's. I don't think so. I think you're drawn to the things you're drawn to naturally and I've sort of kind of dabbled in collecting things in the past but not to the extent that other people have. But I think it was a really nice insight into community because at the core of all of these things is community. People who collect stuff always go to uh, events or fairs and stuff and they know all the other people. They Mm. know all the other Mm. collectors within their kind of realm and they're all getting together all the time and, and things like that. Um, the same with uh, live action role play. We did an episode on cosplay as well, which kind of always baffled me a little bit because I, I get dressing up, you know, to a point, but the amount of money and time that people would put into a costume to wear for one day, uh, I just couldn't see ultimate. I, I just couldn't see myself ever getting into it. But yeah. then when you get there and you realize that the, it's about the community and people working together and, um, you know, sharing their skills and things like that, you're like, okay, right. This is like a this is a whole thing that goes beyond just wearing an outfit. Is
0: it like exhilarating on the actual day?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was very nervous. I was very nervous, especially because you don't just like get up on stage and show them your outfit. You have to do like a whole like mini performance. It's like a, it's a whole thing. Um, yeah, and it's super impressive
0: what people can do. But it's ticking a lot of boxes because it sounds like you've got the acting in there, you've got the fantasy role play element. Yeah, and um, you know, and it's, and it's
1: when people recognise you from that thing that they mm. love, mm. you know. And there are some really obscure characters out there that people have got, become dressed as, and there might be only one person that recognises them <laughs> that whole day. But for that one person, like the moment that comes out of that is electric because they're just like, "Oh my god, I didn't think anyone else in the world liked this thing, but me." And
0: do you think we're losing some of that in society, like that kind of that community that? Comes comes from a sense of sharing um, what we collect, and you know, um, I just think about some things like how the internet has driven us into a space where we can just collect things for ourselves. Um, is it actually enhancing people's ability to connect? I
1: think I think it's a bit of it's a bit of give and take. I think I think the internet has given as much as it's taken away when it comes to social connection because it's allowed us to reach so much further, um, and so that gives us. I guess, more connectedness with people. But then, yeah, I guess sometimes it results in a bit of less, a bit less of that sort of face-to-face connection. Uh
0: So in addition to sort of some of these um, fun role-playing things and uh, community-focused activities, you've you've been a writer as well. You've written several children's books. Um, How do you get to that stage and what's that like embarking on that process?
1: I mean, I've always wanted to write, you know, I, we sort of started talking about my love of fantasy fiction. So I still have desires to write um, epic fantasy novels one day when I'm, I think, uh, a little bit more close to retirement, probably. But um, uh, Scholastic actually approached Barjo and us – Scholastic actually approached Bajo and I to uh, write this series together. And it was so exciting because.
0: That's like being poached from a different industry. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, to, to get a, um, a foot in the door with publishing like that is, is just so rare. Um, the challenge was the writing it together part because how do you even do that? Mm. And I know that plenty of books have been co-authored before, but, um, with the schedule that we have, it was very difficult. Mm. You know, we were, we were both full-time on Good Game at that time and um, it was such a time-consuming job because we were just, um, just pumping out reviews every week for this weekly show and it was just a, a really back-to-back process and um, sort of fitting the writing in there and then going back and forth was really difficult. But we did it and we kind of planned out what we wanted to do and we ended up kind of writing a chapter each and then trying to go back through each other's parts to blend it a little bit And we ended up with five books based around this idea of these kids that get sucked into a video game kind of Tron style. And it was really fun. And those books now have been translated into French and Russian,
0: <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done a lot. I mean, do you kind of find it hard to choose what what will your next project or focus be?
1: No, I think it's pretty organic. Um, you know, uh, the the craze the most sort of left left of field thing that I've done was I spent a year filming with National Geographic, which I think actually came off the back of How to Be a Fan because that was, um. Despite it being so far removed from video games, this National Geographic stuff. I mean, um, how to be a fan was very uh, documentary style, and it's in its. Um in its production, and and it was quite sort of in depth personal stories, and the show that I shot with National Geographic was called Only in Oz, and it was looking at um, aspects of Australia and Australian stories that make it unique. So that was really cool, and that was just flying around Australia, going to places that I'd never been, the outback, talking to farmers, um, strange animals, you know, all kinds of things. So that was really exciting.
0: What did you take away from that experience?
1: I suppose um, a, a more appreciation for my own backyard, that's for sure. Like I love to travel mm. but I always travel overseas and I think, well, Australia will always be there and I feel like I kind of get the gist of of, of what it's about. But, they were, you know, I, I think there is – you know, we've got more camels in Australia than they do in the <laughs> Middle East. Isn't that crazy? So many camels.
0: <laughs> I mean so many that they had to – didn't they do like a uh, helicopter cull of them or something? Oh, so well, yeah. They have to do <laughs> things to try and – control, like – we're being overrun by camels. They're
1: out of, they're out of control. But yeah. I suppose our country is very big and full of desert mm. in the middle, so it's, it's a good place for them to hang out, I suppose. <laughs>
0: and so have you always had a, a love of nature?
1: Yeah, yeah. I love hiking. I love mountains. Um, I moved to the Blue Mountains recently because I just um, felt like I needed more trees <laughs>
0: in city, my life. The city was just a bit too barren.
1: Yeah, and I think I just wanted to be able to um, have a house and a, a yard for my dog and, you know, it's, I would never be able to afford that in Sydney, so <laughs> it was just kind of it, – it made sense.
0: So market forces are pushing you to the country and to nature.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been there for now?
1: Um, just over a year.
0: Have you found yourself to be sort of – any? I should ask you in a more open way, has much changed as a result for you sort of in terms of how you feel and your productivity and creativity from being in the green?
1: I think so. I think it's still difficult. My job is still very much tied to technology, so it's always difficult to switch off. But I find it um, easier because all I have to do is step outside and – you know, I'm surrounded by beauty, which is amazing. I think I've always wanted to live up there. It just never became possible until now because I sort of moved into a more freelance style of work and means coming into the city less and um, –
0: Yeah, Does that have to be like – was that quite a deliberate life choice for you to sort of – freelancing give you that space to make decisions like that?
1: For sure. And it was really hard because I'd only ever had a full-time job, you know, and it's really scary thinking about how you can transition from one to the other. But um, I think – It sort of happened when I left the ABC and I moved to Channel 7. I was full-time at Channel 7 as well, but the difference was it was a commercial network, which meant that I could start taking on commercial roles and brand partnerships and things like that, um, which gives me a lot more freedom. So between television roles, I do, um, you know, I work with different brands in the tech space, and that allows me to be able to work more freely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the
0: commercial model. So, so that so that's interesting. So you, you couldn't do that before when you're through ABC? Is that sort of part of the contracting?
1: Yeah. The, it, being a government-funded organisation, you can't really do anything related to advertising mm. or, or commercial work because it's like your salary effectively yep. is taxpayer money. So it totally makes sense. And um You know, with that also came the benefit of being able to have completely unbiased critique and review, Mm. which is why that show worked so well for so long. And and it gave me the foundations and credibility to be able to forge a career in the gaming industry, which is fantastic. Um, But, yeah, now I do do uh, a fair bit of sponsored work, which is just part of, um, you know, the commercial model. But um, I feel like I also have the wonderful freedom to be able to choose brands that I genuinely like, which I know a lot of people say, but, like, I, I, you know, I've started doing work for Samsung, and I have been a like a genuine Samsung fan for like eleven years. So I've just been like, I've pretty much been knocking on their door to work with them for a long time. They were like, me. they were like, fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you reach out then to some brands? Is that sort of something you do from time to time?
1: Yeah, sometimes. I mean, not not really. I never really ask for mm. for anything, but I have a manager who um uh who sort of helps me kind of forge those relationships, and so um I think quite often um it becomes obvious to those brands when I'm a genuine fan of their stuff. And um, yeah, it happens pretty organically from there.
0: It sounds like it's not too much of a conflict sort of doing that. You know, you're in a space that you love and you're also promoting aligned brands that you use anyway. That makes total sense to me. But one thing that we sort of chatted about earlier is it means that you are um, a a bit more attached to your uh, streams, devices, branding, emails, images, manager maybe. Yeah. How do you kind of – How does one reconcile that with trying to live a a more kind of disconnected or Blue Mountains-y life?
1: It's so hard. It's so unbelievably hard. And I also feel myself as a person just like in the media space genuinely like insecure when it comes to – I guess, all of that stuff. And I get so sucked into things, you know. I I just recently unfollowed everyone on Instagram.
0: (laughs) Mass purge, look out.
1: (laughs) Except for five accounts. I followed two Blue Mountains accounts and then the rest of the accounts are just like trees. Was it
0: therapeutic? Um, It really was. It
1: really was. And it came about because I just – I just started following more and more Instagram models. <laughs> I think as some kind of aspirational, this will make me want to be a better person yeah. and look after myself yeah. more type thing. And I even had like my partner and, and, our, you know, a close friend of mine were even like, I feel like this is something that probably is negatively affecting your self esteem. And yeah. I was like, no, it's fine. And then I, yeah, I just had this full on meltdown one day and I just. I I realized I no longer had control over what I could, I guess, curate for myself on that platform in a positive way. So I was like one day uh, when I feel like I can get that control back, I will just start following friends and people that I'm genuinely inspired by. But at the moment it just has to be nothing because I can't, it, you know, I just check it every five seconds and what do I see? Like another girl like tanned on the on the beach. <laughs> like
0: it's, so, it's such a mess. And that's I don't kind need of, that
1: in my life. <laughs> that's
0: kind of why I got off. Oh, I actually never got on Instagram. Humans of Purpose has an Instagram that was managed. But for me, I mean, I just couldn't handle it. I mean, I know, I, I think I'm very aware of what is good for me and what influences me in a good way and what doesn't. And yeah. And sort of I think I started to notice that um, being on Facebook and Instagram were not things that made me feel good about being me
1: yeah and it's so hard, and like I realized the irony at uh, mm. being a person that um of influence that mm. uses Instagram, you know I post mm. things on there, and I really genuinely enjoy sharing aspects mm. of my life. I posted a lot of pictures of my dog, yeah. Um, I enjoy that too by the my way. My breakfast, all that stuff, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and I and I Your dog is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love I genuinely love Instagram and I and I will go back to it eventually, you know, in, in a more positive way. I just think I You know, I, the Marie Kondo thing had a had a massive effect on me. Like the, Oh,
0: watching the Netflix taco?
1: Well, I read the book first before it was cool. Yep. Man. Cool. Okay. Yeah. How long ago was thats
0: <laughs> <laughs> That two years ago. About two years okay. ago, yeah. Yep.
1: And um and so I I kind of I think sometimes you really do, need, and I can't just not use my phone yep. for a few days. Yep. I, it's so integral to my work. Um, so I think, yeah, that was kind of a solution for me. But in, you know, and Facebook is probably the next one I need to look at because I have. I feel like I just click on really horrible news stories about yeah. people dying,
0: yeah, in uh, really uh,
1: horrific man, ways. Man,
0: I think Facebook and Instagram. I mean, they have their issues, but but I am, I guess, I guess like quite interested by that. I mean, there's an inherent tension there, but you seem to navigate it quite well because what you do is you just you're sort of posting about you in a positive way without looking at all the other stuff. Yeah. And I don't think you have to be a passive observer of these platforms. You can be a poster who's legitimately trying to connect with their fan base or their audience.
1: Yeah. And and the amazing thing is like now that I've done it, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything (laughs) (laughs) spectacular, you know. I'm just like, you know what, my life can do without knowing what workout that person did today (laughs)
0: yes oh my god (laughs) tell me about it do you think um do you like twitter or do you find twitter any less offensive or more enjoyable
1: i like twitter but i find um i'm very visually stimulated so i quite like the sort of image aspect of um of instagram a bit more i suppose and and twitter i think um I get a bit overwhelmed by the volume of content Yeah, it's,
0: it's literally trying to drink uh, a small glass of water out of a fire hydrant, Twitter. I feel yeah. like it just it keeps re- replenishing. You don't get anywhere. Um, that's that's what I find hard about it is like, you know, we're obsessed with progress bars everywhere. Like yeah. how far <laughs> are we through this workout? When will it be over? Um, with Twitter, there's no – it just keeps coming. <laughs> It'll yeah. never end.
1: And I think what's, what's interesting <laughs> too is that like, you know, my dad would sit down and watch the 6 p.m. news mm. every single night. Mm. You know, I don't think I've ever really watched – the news yeah. and I don't think I ever will because yeah. we're a generation of people that like when something happens, it's on yeah. Twitter or Facebook immediately and then it will link you through to several stories <laughs> that you can yeah. watch or or read about that story that has just happened. Well, the
0: news is um, it's all-encompassing now, whereas I think the news, um, in inverted commas, was a thing back mm. in the day. Mm. I remember it well. You know, you, the 6.30 or the 6 o'clock news would be the news and that was all that was happening
1: yeah.
0: for that period until the next 6.30 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. like there is nothing else that, that needs like to a, be a, discussed. it's like a dark zone, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like <laughs> nothing, nothing worth talking about is actually happening. Yeah. So, it is a stream. and i mean do you do you find solace in sort of books and and film and you know documentary or the create i know you're a twitch um you twitcher or what do you what do you call it twitch caster streamer, a streamer? I think yep you
1: say yeah uh, yeah for sure i think i've always been driven by escapism almost too much you know to the point where i think um i just need to be able to ground myself in reality um with purpose sometimes because i'm always just chasing I think, you know, when I watch TV and stuff, a lot of the time I will rewatch the same things that I've seen before just <laughs> yeah. because I want my mind to, to not yeah. have to think. Yep. Um, and I just live in, a, in another place for a while. Yep. Um, and I know the answer to that is meditation, and I will try every day to meditate, but it's never going to happen. Ah,
0: <laughs> oh, the meditation thing is a real killer for me. I mean, I just feel like I keep—I can't it's tell you how many times so I've downloaded uh, Headspace, um, me too. Sam Harris, waking yeah. up, and like I really like Sam Harris, so I listen to his podcast. I download his thing, but then I'm like, I'd rather just think about Sam Harris enjoying meditating than meditating. <laughs> it's,
1: it's ridiculous. It
0: just makes no sense. And it's
1: so hard to prioritize the stillness. I think the closest mm. I can get is yoga because. Mm-hmm. Yoga, I feel like, is a little bit more um, energised. And even though it's not really meditation, it's still... It's close. It's close. I feel and, like
0: it is really close. Yeah,
1: and I feel like it's like you're still dedicating an hour to do something that is very, like, mm, st- sort of focused in its intention, which which is good.
0: I find um, the same... Feeling that I think you're meant to get from yoga, from Pilates, the reformer Pilates is quite good. Yeah, I find that that's a space where because they're telling you all the time about your breathing and what Mm -hmm. you should be doing with your breathing, it's really hard to focus on doing breathing well while you're doing other physical things and to like you know escape. Yeah, (laughs) like kind of it's it's like almost too many things. Yeah, I quite like that. Um, that like that's for me a good kind of. My listeners, or if you can say that, yeah. Um, and the other one is high intensity training. I do a bit of um f forty five, and I get teased mercilessly by my CrossFit friends and all these other people saying what's good and what's not.
1: Everyone has everyone's got their flavor, yeah. (laughs) But
0: for me, because you're working out so hard, for me anyway, um, if you concentrate on anything else, you'll probably fall over and hurt yourself.
1: Yeah. So it's like. That's funny because my favourite, my absolute favourite workout that I've been doing for years is this spin class um, in the city called Scenic Cycle and it's it is a form of escapism, I suppose, because it's like these two massive cinema screens mm-hmm. and the poor guy that owns it has had to fly around <laughs> the world and record on a GoPro these like <laughs> stunning rides from like Switzerland or, you He know. does that
0: all himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God.
1: Yeah. The really tough job. Um, so, you know, every morning I would, I would go to the spin class and I still do. It's just not in the morning anymore. I just go whenever I can. Um, and, for forty-five minutes, you're doing this guided spin class, but with this kind of visual, like feeling that you're in, you know, the south of France or something, That's and it's amazing. so incredible. It's almost a little bit gamey in a way because it's kind of got a, an almost VR element, and the class is guided, um, sort of to the track that you're following. Mm. Um, visually, so you kind of feel like you're there.
0: And so what's happening? Is there music and commentary? There's, there's or?
1: music and there's an instructor, okay. but um, but I always book a bike right up the front in the middle of the screen because the visual element, because I've done other spin classes. So like booking a movie or like on
0: the plane, you choose your seat?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, tot- you totally do. Yeah, and, you're, and I'm right at the front and center, so I have like this, the massive screen is just like filling my whole yep. vision. And for me... That it feels like I've been, I've gone somewhere else for 45 minutes. And I love that.
0: That's awesome. Speaking of immersive experiences that are workout or not workout related, you're on the cutting edge of this stuff. <laughs> where, where, where are things at with VR? What have you experienced and what, what do you like that's coming out or on the scene? It's
1: crazy. I thought VR would be over by now because, in my opinion, we're never going to be able to really enjoy VR until we're like Matrix level plug me in. Yeah. You know, I want to be in Skyrim fighting a dragon. I want to feel the dragon, (laughs) the heat of its breath on my face. And I want to be like running around in a field. And at the moment, I think we're struggling with um, the systems of movement within VR that make you feel quite motion sick. Because if you're walking around in the game, but your body is seated, your brain feels that disconnect. Mm. And um, that's what makes you feel quite unwell. And I've heard... A number of times now that this is because your brain interprets that that you've been poisoned, like <laughs> really? you've taken mushrooms or something. Wow! So and something that's is why it makes mess you feel s- yeah. So that's why it makes yep. you feel sick. Yep. I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes sense to me because um, yeah, it's it's like I, what I'm seeing does not match with what my body yeah, is doing, yeah. so something must be wrong.
0: It, it seems like they're not there yet with the in home type of thing where you just put on a like.
1: Yeah. PlayStation yeah. head thing. And so you can, it, it really limits the kinds of games you can play if, yeah. you, if your character can't move around. The way that they've solved it, well, the best solution they've come up with is that you kind of have a, a teleportation type system where you will just um, point at a place in the ground and you'll kind of sort of jump forward a few spaces. Yep. And that seems to solve that problem because you're not just walking and looking around like you would normally um, in a video game control a camera and the movement in that way. Um, otherwise, there are games where you're just you're seated the whole time or you're in the cockpit or something like that. And that works. Your brain makes sense of that. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think um you know i've had more fun at those kind of vr arcade things or those sort of zero latency style things where you're running around in a in a purpose you know built room yeah, for vr yeah
0: i feel like that's a thing And in the us in particular these places that have got you know the floors that move and you know like messing your balance this there's, there's, there's things like smoke. the htc
1: vive where you can yeah. kind of set up boundaries within your space but then it's like who has that much space <laughs> yeah, to dedicate to vr this
0: is my vr yeah area. and then you
1: still run into <laughs> these kind of virtual walls within that space that, that kind of pulls you out, out of the moment just got to get
0: like a Glass of water at nighttime, and you trip over your VR. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> yeah. like, damn it, it ruined my TV. <laughs>
1: but, you know, I have played some pretty good games. There was one called Blood and Truth recently that was kind of like a, you know, gangster style game. that yep. was really cool. And I have to say, you know, as a, as a gamer so used to being able to wield a gun with a touch of a button, to actually have to reach down and grab the clip and load it into the gun.
0: <laughs> oh, this is part of the experience? Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, you have like, a, you know, imagine you have one of those belts across your chest that has like, you know, clips attached to it. And then you've got a holster and stuff like that. And someone's shooting at you and you have to kind of grab the thing and put it in the, in the gun. And then, you know, you're not as great as you think you are suddenly, you know, when it's all actual movement. So it's cool in that respect that you get to experience something a little bit more authentic. Hmm. Um, to running and gunning
0: <laughs> on video games and i suppose the utility of video games and how we think about their value today mm. we were talking before about you know the, the criticism you get as somebody who's playing games as being sort of like you know unproductive or they should be doing yeah. something else or that they're a negative in society do, do you feel that you know video games for you or for, for others are something that can actually help us you know, be better people and live better lives?
1: For sure. I think you just uh, got to be playing the right game. I mean, my partner plays uh, the same game pretty much over and over, but he plays online with his school friends. And for that, that's their sort of social time. That's yep. his release, his social time with his friends. They chat about life and, and all that kind of stuff while doing something that's really focused and they're working towards a common goal together. And what game stra- does he play? Strategy. He plays Dota 2. Oh, okay. Um. So you know that's that's a big thing for him, but I think for a lot of people they have there is still this kind of view that video games are a waste of time or um, or bad for you in some way. I don't understand how you would waste any more time uh, playing a video game than you would binging a series of Netflix. Yep. in fact, video games are more engaging, and you're using your mind mm. in, a, in a more active way. Um, there are just. You know, I love video games more now than I ever have because they've evolved and and grown and broadened so much. There are all these incredible experiences that you can have that uh, don't involve, you know, Call of Duty style oh, shooting I'm, experiences.
0: Dude, the game I'm playing at the moment on PlayStation, or was playing, it was too immersive, I had to stop.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's
0: called Sekiro, Shadows Die so Twice. Oh, yeah, have, wow. You know this game? That's
1: a tough game.
0: Dude, that is a really hard game. But just being like... To explain to your friends that, sorry, you can't talk, you're in Japan in the 1400s trying yeah. to um, scale, you know, fortresses and whatnot and defeat um, ancient warlords. Yeah. Just the way they put that game together is stellar. I mean, it's just – have you played it?
1: Yeah, yeah, Did I have. you like it? I, I – do, but I'm just hmm. not great really at it. It's yeah. really hard. I had, to,
0: I had to read I haven't done this in years. I had to read walkthroughs and tutorials. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, like I've, Dark
1: Souls and everything yeah. like that. I find like I don't have the patience. I've hence at
0: all. since given up because it's too hard. But the, <laughs> the, the, the immersiveness of like a game like that and then, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn I, it was just like an oh, absolute yeah. favorite. Yeah, Horizon oh, was great. Far Cry but, four was my all-time favorite.
1: But I feel like, you know, a lot of the time when I'm s i am at speak a lot at tech conferences and stuff, and, and my, my favorite aspect of video games and the way They've evolved um is um, with the narrative element yep. because that's what sets games apart from every mm. other medium the fact that you can participate in the narrative mm. um of a video game in a way that you can't with a film or a book or well, something it's like, like
0: an that ecosystem. it's like stepping into a book where you play the protagonist
1: yeah and often you can make specific choices within that story that will affect the outcome or other characters or the world itself mm. and like that's that's crazy. That, you know, the, it, it totally gives you um, the opportunity to explore your own, like, the limits of your own moral code yep. or maybe go against what you would do in real life to kind of explore that other aspect of yourself if you want to. It's really so interesting. And for people who are kind of who see video games as, as intimidating, or they think there's some kind of barrier there, I think it's because they have this idea that you still have to be really dexterous mm. or really quick. And I'm neither when mm. it comes to video games. I mm. never have been. I've never been great at shooters, you know, or, or anything reflex based. But there are games that are based around complex narratives, or there are puzzle games, or turn-based strategy games. There are so many different games you can play that don't require you to be fast or dexterous. Yeah,
0: there's something for everyone. And I think with the missing piece that people. Would not not, don't seem to get very well is that playing games can be a really good way to, I suppose, just unwind and have mm. that time in an, in an ecosystem where you can transition modes. Like for me, what I'll do sometimes is I'll come home from work, I'll play some games and then I'll go off and do whatever I need to do next. Yeah. Maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's gym, but it's that time to just kind of um, strategize or to do turn-based decisions within that environment. It's like yeah. a really nice segue.
1: I really love it. One of the games that I play a lot um, online with friends is Sea of Thieves, which is kind of an online pirate game um, in this beautiful kind of Caribbean setting. And there's not a whole lot that you do in that game besides just go around and loot islands and fight skeletons with Mm. your friends. But it's just that act of being together in this really relaxing Beautiful ocean space, yeah. and all of you kind of working to keep this ship going together yeah. is just so wonderful. And for me, that's that's kind of my release.
0: So you're, you're being like a ship operator in your spare time in I, the Caribbean.
1: I am a pirate in the Caribbean, <laughs> yes, with my pirate friends. Lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's just such a wonderful time, like a wonderful way to spend the afternoon. And for me, that's just. I mean, yeah, I don't understand why people wouldn't want to do that if they, like, would be happy to sit and watch TV for for a bunch of hours.
0: And what about the evolution from, you know, being a gamer to watching others' game? Because that's something I think a lot of people find fascinating, like being a Twitch streamer. Mm. Um, How many people watch you play and what do you play and how do you feel about that? What's that like, that experience of playing games um, almost as – not just for yourself, but you're kind of playing for others as it's, well?
1: It's cool and different and unique and wonderful. I don't stream a whole lot mm. because I find um, I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, even though my Twitch channel is partnered, which means that people can um, subscribe and pay money and stuff like that, I just give all that to charity because mm. I don't feel like I'm able to stream often enough to give them a product worth paying for. So I, felt, I started initially and then I, w- I felt really guilty about it. So I just – now it's got – this really positive element to it where um, whenever I stream, we just pick a charity and the money just goes there. And that way, if people are subscribing month by month, then at least I know that their money is going somewhere worthwhile. Um, but I think what what is attractive about it is the interactive element. People feel like, you know, we talk about that idea of, of um, gaming online with your friends and feeling connected and just having a space to chat and stuff. That's what Twitch is. It's it, it, I uh, have never been particularly skillful at games. People don't watch me to see me like, you know, speed run yeah. levels and things like that. Yeah. They watch me because they really like chatting with me while we kind of go through this experience together. And, you know, I can be like, "Oh, which door should I choose?" Or, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and fight this guy with a bicycle," <laughs> 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 which is something that you can do in Yakuza.
0: <laughs> and so people actually engage with that, and they yeah, they're like, yeah, that we like pick to... up the
1: traffic cone, hit him over the head with the traffic cone. I'll be like, "Yeah, man, I'll do that." <laughs> and amazing. then sometimes we chat about life. We ha- I had the whole Instagram conversation with my Twitch stream last time I streamed.
0: Let's see, that's an incredible thing to be to be able to having like life conversations while playing a game like that. I mean, for me, I, I don't know, like maybe I'm just not used enough to that gaming collaborative environment. Yeah. But that's quite fascinating. But
1: it's, again, it's a, it's about the community. Mm. It always comes back to that because, you know, I have a holding screen before I go um – before I sort of switch the camera to my face was that when I first go live. And so when everyone kind of jumps into the chat room, they're all just chatting with each other. It's the same people. They're all asking each other how their day was. Are you feeling better? I know you were sick last time. Or And when you watch that happen, you're like, I mean, they're here for me a little bit, but I feel like they're also just here for each other yeah. because this is a space that they've established that is, you know, safe and comfortable and um, and relaxed and they can all hang out and chat and, and I can facilitate that in some way while playing a video game. And that's kind of – I get that. Mm-hmm. People have it on while they're doing something else maybe or, you know, they're just kind it's of hanging comforting. It's comforting. It becomes sort yeah. of
0: part of the routine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what about sort of the – I don't know if this has ever been an issue for you, but being a, a, a female in a largely sort of male-dominated space, the video games industry, I mean, mm. we sort of look around and I know that um, back in the day and even today, you sort of say, who's out there talking about video games? And, yeah. and you are the sort of go-to um, female that I can think of in the top of my head. I, yeah, I've sure. always lo- loved what you do in this space, but I couldn't really name anyone else, um, <laughs> whereas there's just guys, you know, white guys plastered everywhere who are yeah. doing the same stuff. Stuff. yeah has that impacted you and sort of how do you, how do you feel being are you like are you a role model in that space
1: I think what's been caused cool mm. to be able to watch it shift a little bit yeah. over time as particularly with twitch I think has given so many more women a platform to be able to um, share their experience with video games so um, I feel like that's really ramped up in, in recent years. When I first started it, was particularly tough on Good Game because that was a, a, a niche show that was hosted by guys and the guy that I replaced uh, did not leave voluntarily. So that created a really massive backlash. He was quite public about the fact that he didn't choose to leave. Yep. Um, so he had a strong fan base that obviously rallied behind him and, um, and took that out on me quite aggressively.
0: <laughs> I, it's, I still fail to understand how you cop some of that, but that's –
1: Yeah, I I think people assumed that the ABC of all (laughs) organisations had hired a woman for like some kind of sex appeal or something like that, which, you know, is just baffling and They clearly don't
0: understand who's watching (laughs) that. Yeah. I
1: mean, originally I was hired to to work with both of them. I was going to join the show as kind of a third host and, um, you know, things sort of transpired between him and the ABC in a way that you know i wasn't there or a part of um but i ended up you know being sort of replacing him um so that was really hard at the start and also i suppose going it was really intimidating going to um you know gaming events and stuff where all of the journalists were male um but they were all pretty okay but i think my um my producer janet gator she um She had garnered a lot of respect in the industry. She came from a news and current affairs background. So I think people had a lot of respect for her. And so being kind of under her wing really helped me um, establish a foothold for myself and some credibility as well. And she gave me the most wonderful piece of advice, Mm -hmm. you know, when I came in sort of just in tears one day when people were trying to like dox me and just, you know, (laughs) Photoshopping my face under porn and stuff like that. Oh, man. It was full on she said, look, you don't have to prove yourself to anyone and don't try because your work is going to speak for you. And it was just the best advice you could have possibly given me. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. Over time, people just started to really value my opinion and um, all of that negativity went away. And, you know, it's still, I, I would say I've been to so many E3s now and I definitely see more women there than before. I still walk into the It's bizarre, you know, you're so used to, as a woman, you know, having to line up for the women's bathroom and at E3, (laughs) it's just a ghost town, you know, you go in there and I can just choose
0: any Talk about a glass half full mentality, that is awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I, you know, it's, it's changing, but slowly, I think where we need to see the most change really is, is at a developer level, because the more women that are involved in making games, the more we'll see. Better female representation mm. and, um, you know, broader experiences that will appeal to women. Not to say that the, the games that are made for men, men don't appeal to women, but you know, if it's uh, if you, you you can only choose male characters shooting other male characters, yep. it's like, well, who <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to relate to, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> And so you do a bit of work now with um, girls in STEM and, you know, mm. part of that as well is um, really important, I suppose, to um, be in those spaces where you can influence the next wave of women and girls to work in that coding space and design space and even in, you know, maths and engineering and be around that realm.
1: Yeah. I think what's really interesting is that, you know, when I was at the ABC, we I hosted two shows there, Good Game, and then we had a kid's show called Good Game Spawn Point, which was just G and PG rated games. And Good Game had a, a, a gender split of about uh, 70% men, 30% women, which is pretty good. But um, Spawn Point, it was pretty much 50-50. Mm. So e- even that is showing you that, that girls and boys really love video games, but there's something that happens um, as they transition to high school that, that, um, that shifts them socially away from video games and also things like science and maths um, and tech related subjects. And, It's just a a weird social uh, attitude that just needs to be changed because – you know, I was doing this radio spot for, um, the Melbourne Esports Open with Eddie Maguire. We were talking about esports oh, and, how, <laughs> and how, um, how that's growing and things like that. And, because Eddie's gr-
0: big into esports. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I think he's, uh, he's interested in the money that's attached to esports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a girl had called in for a competition related to something else I can't remember. And he he sort of, uh, she was still on the line. So he said, you know, Sarah, what do you, um, what do you think about esports and video games? And she goes, "Oh, all the boys at my school playing Fortnite all the time. It's so annoying. It's all they talk about is Fortnite." And then he said, "Do any of your girlfriends play Fortnite?" And she goes, "Oh, we have this one friend, and I'm trying to tell her to stop because it's just silly." And I was like, "There it is. Like, it's that's you know, if your if your <laughs> if your girlfriends are <laughs> discouraging you from from playing video games, then yeah, of course you're gonna yeah. feel pressure to stop." And I feel like that's such a big part of it, you know? And so it, the more events we can do around STEM and showing people that there are such mm. cool careers, you know, one of the great things <laughs> that they said on the weekend, they were like, don't just think about being a hairdresser, but think about the person who's, you know, um, the chemist who's making the dye. Yep. Like, you know, there's so many different things that you could do, yeah. you know, it, creatively, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the end result. You can be part of the the whole process all the way through.
0: So, you know the course that you've gone and sort of the career path you've gone. I, when I think about it, it might feel different to you, but it feels like it's largely uncharted sort of territory. You, yeah. you, you're very much like sort of chosen your own adventure, or you know what 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 seems to be a really well you know um, a great portfolio of things. Now it's like when I look at it, it's like how did you make the decisions about where to go and what to do next, and to sort of craft that journey. Do you have advice for people who sort of might be embarking on similar um, careers that might be a bit unclear how to kind of get into them or to progress on how they can kind of make sense of a fairly, um, you know, chaotic and disordered?
1: Yeah. A yeah, I mean, I feel really confident when I'm talking about something that I'm passionate about, which sounds obvious, but, um, you know, I did a, a, a Game of Thrones show recently for Foxtel called Thrones 360, and so the first thing they asked, they were like, do you watch Game of Thrones? They're like, it's fine if you don't. And I was like... <laughs> it's fine if you don't, like how would you do it? I feel like it's not fine <laughs> yeah. if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, I'm a huge fan of Game of Thrones, <laughs> you know, I've... Um, uh, and it was just such a, a a fun project to be a part of, but um, yeah, I think um, I I think when it comes to video games and tech and pop culture and stuff, it's just so easy for me to talk about because I genuinely love it. So I think um, navigating career choices just comes from a place of knowing that I'll be I'll be able to to perform well and, and you know, deliver well when I have just this kind of wealth of experience and knowledge and passion behind
0: it. So choosing things that you're passionate about and that you have um, genuine interest and capability.
1: Yeah. You. I mean, yeah, I speak at a lot of tech conferences and it was so nerve-wracking at first. When I would look at the lineup of guests and I'd go on, like I'd go on after someone from Google or, or Atlassian or something like that. And I was like, I can't talk after this guy. Like I can't talk about video games in front of all of these people who've come from all of their like major companies and stuff. And, and what am I even going to say? You know, but then I would get up there and I would start talking and it was like I could hear myself speaking and I was like, I didn't. I can't believe how much I know, (laughs) but it's, I've been in this industry for 10 years. Of course I know everything about everything. (laughs) Like, it just, it's just everything that I am and what I do. And so I became so much more confident. And I think actually after listening to a lot of like hardcore professors and stuff, Mm -hmm. someone who's up there there talking about narrative choice in video games is actually a breath of fresh air for them. So I really enjoy it now and I don't second guess myself anymore.
0: So you sort of accept that you know enough to go up there. I think part of it also is the doing of it and just knowing that you can do it. Yeah. So I used to be petrified also of public speaking and um, now I do a lot of speaking gear and I, I just find I love it. You know, It's weird when you, there's something that you go from being really scared of yeah. and the only way to really, I think, master a fear and to get good at something is just keep doing it heaps. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah,
1: yeah. And watching other people. And I've had some great conversations mm. with other speakers at mm. events and stuff, ones that are really confident and have obviously been doing it for a long time. So I've learned a lot just from conversations with other people.
0: The next 15 minutes of this conversation is exclusive to our Patreon supporter community. To learn more and to join our community, head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose or click the link in our show notes. It's been an incredible chat. Um, How can people learn more about your work and connect with you if they want to um, engage?
1: Uh, uh, Definitely on social media. I'm at hexsteph on Instagram, at hexsteph on Twitter. On Facebook, I think my Facebook page is S. Dixon because there is a, a Hex on Facebook that somebody has created that's just like random bikini photos of, <laughs> of other women that aren't me. <laughs> I ask them uh, politely to, to take it down. Please don't. They have not obliged, so it's <laughs> different on Facebook. Um, and uh, I write uh, weekly articles for the Herald Sun as well, um, and I do gaming videos for them as well. I'm on Twitch, also hexstep on Twitch. Um,
0: yeah, And I want to also congratulate you on getting married on the weekend. Oh, thank so you. Wonderful, I'm so excited. Wonderful, and <laughs> I'm so thrilled that you made time for, our, for us to catch up and do to a podcast together. So, thank you for coming <laughs> Thanks in. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word of mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com.